Fantastic. Yeah, so carrying on on our Knowing Jesus um, series. And I've really enjoyed doing the research for this sermon, actually. And I've quite often thought, I can't believe I didn't know that. I've been a Christian for so long. It feels like basic facts about Jesus I didn't know. (laughs) So I'm quite excited about sharing them with you. So let's read from Colossians 1. This is Jesus. Amazing stuff. The Son... Just want you to, in that middle of that worship, when we're just worshiping Jesus, just get back to that place and just think about Jesus and how amazing he is. The Son is the, Im- is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Wow, what an amazing saviour, what an amazing Jesus we serve. And it's very easy for us, isn't it, for Christians 2,000 years later, we view Jesus very much through this lens, through the lens of the resurrection, through the lens of the ascension. We know Jesus rose from the dead. We know that he is reigning in power. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's how we view Jesus, fully, fully, fully God. We kind of know that at the core of our being, if, you know, we've, if we believe. We kind of know that Jesus is fully God. But he was also fully, fully human, Those two opposites are completely true all at the same time. And that's kind of a hallmark of Jesus, that he was shocking, surprising, because the two opposites are true. And that's actually where you'll find that throughout the New Testament. Two opposites are true, held in tension, but are true together. He was fully God and yet fully man. So I kind of want us to look today about the fully man, because I think it will help us read the New Testament in the light that we're meant to be reading it, and the shocking truths of Jesus walking on the earth and saying the things he said will come alive to us in a new way, I hope. So, yeah, it's hard for us, isn't it? Because we didn't, we weren't living in Palestine 2,000 years ago, we didn't see Mary get pregnant. We didn't coo over him as a baby, like see him grow up as a toddler, run across, you know, being cute. We didn't see him messing about with his brothers. We didn't see his dad going off to work. We don't really know what he sounded like, what he looked like. You know, we didn't see all that sort of just normal life. So it's hard for us to really imagine him as fully human and fully as just a, a man. And I think that's kind of what we're going to look at today, because that context is really, really important for us. 
to understand and know Jesus as the man, the historical figure walking on this earth 2,000 years ago was, what he looked like, what he sounded like. You know, any newspaper or any written thing, they would set the scene. And this is kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to set the scene. So what did Jesus look like? <laughs> well, we don't have any photos, obviously. And the Bible really only kind of describes him once. And it's a prophecy from Isaiah. So it's a prophecy as well. It's not like a, you know, a photo description of someone. It's a prophecy. So Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus was born, in Isaiah 53, when he's talking about the suffering servant, which was Jesus, it says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So the prophet is basically saying, look, there's nothing. He didn't look extraordinary. He wasn't this towering figure of a man, um, you know, that looked amazing, that had a natural, ooh, you know. So in, the old, in those sort of his Israel days or whatever, whenever they looked for a king, they looked for a tall, well-built man that just kind of looked like a leader and like a powerful guy. That's what they looked for. But the, Isaiah is saying he wasn't like that. He just looked ordinary. There was nothing about his appearance that would draw us to him in the natural, okay? That's quite important. Like, he didn't have this kind of supernatural glow when he walked around the, on earth. It wasn't like this. Do you remember that Weetabix advert? You know, when you have your Weetabix, you've got the Weetabix glow. Do you remember that? Anyone? Do you? <laughs> really? That's why you don't remember it. <laughs> Ready Brett glow. Porridge. Um... <laughs> But I really always like that advert because it's like, cause it's true, you know when you have porridge, you get that nice warm feeling in your tummy, don't you? And it kind of carries you through the day. And then the advert obviously knows that. So they had this like ready back glow kind of around this kid as he walked to school. It was great. But the Bible's basically saying he didn't have that sort of supernatural glow that suddenly kind of somehow you just kind of knew, this is the son of God. You know, John the Baptist, who was his cousin, who leapt. So when... Um, John the Baptist's mum and Jesus' mum were both pregnant. John the Baptist, in the womb, leapt at the sound of Mary's voice. Like, that's pretty amazing. He recognised him in the womb, but he didn't recognise him when he was a man, which is odd. Okay? So, in John 1, 32, he says, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Talking about Jesus. Listen, and I myself did not know him. So I didn't recognize him. I didn't know that this was the son of God. But I knew it because the one who sent me to baptize with water, i.e. God, told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So John the Baptist is basically saying, I didn't know it was him. It was only because God told me that when you see a dove when, I baptize, when you baptize him, you see the dove land on him. That's the one. That's the anointed. That's the son of God. So in the natural, John the Baptist didn't know. There was nothing to attract him. There was no beauty or majesty. There was nothing extraordinary about the way he looked or anything to make him stand out just to ordinary people, even to his cousin that knew him really well. And in fact, due to Hollywood and kind of racism, actually, <laughs> the way we portray Jesus 
for some reason, we've made him be a white Caucasian man with blue eyes, which just <laughs> is actually kind of racist. Because that wasn't what he would have looked like at all. He was from Palestine. He was from Egypt. He was from Syria. He, was, he would have looked dark-skinned. He would have had dark eyes. He would have, that's how he would have looked. And actually, I can't believe I didn't know this before, but doing my research. But in 2015, a team of British scientists teamed up with Israeli archaeologists. Can you put that photo of the people with the... the oh, it's on that one, not that one right here, sorry. Um, teamed up with Israeli archaeologists to, to create like a computer-generated photo fit of what Jesus could have looked like. Yeah. So they kind of worked on the assumption that Jesus would have had the typical features of a Galilean Jew at that time in the region. And they based that assumption on the fact that the guards, you know, when they went to arrest Jesus in the garden, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know which, which one of his disciples, who, who, who it was. That's why they needed Jesus to, Judas to portray him with a kiss. So he looked like an average guy that was from Galilee, that a Jew at that time. So they obtained three well-preserved skulls from the region, um, then kind of used the specialist computer programming. It's called, hold on, forensic anthropology that they do now, which is to solve crimes. So when they've only got a skeleton, they can recreate what the person looked like based on their skeleton, which is pretty amazing. So they kind of overlaid muscles and skin and stuff like that. Then they also studied drawings that they had in the time, so from archaeological sites of what people looked like at the time as well. Um, so they knew, well, pretty much beyond a shadow of a doubt that it would have had dark hair, eyes, skin, and would have been bearded like in the Jewish tradition because, you know, if he would have looked significantly different to that, then they would have, that would have been mentioned. Oh, Jesus looked really different because he had blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, like, it's quite, you know, it's, but nobody ever remarked on that. Nobody knew he was different. Nobody saw he was different from what we've seen from John the Baptist, from the guards. He wasn't distinctive at all. He just looked like an ordinary guy. So, um, so actually, this is what they've come up with. So that's the one on the left that we kind of tend to think of. This one on the right is kind of what he probably would have looked like, something like that. There you go. <laughs> Although I don't think the eyes are right. He looks a bit scared. That's why I don't like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That doesn't look like Jesus' eyes to me. That's not Jesus, because probably they didn't, weren't believers, so they didn't. But yeah, he looks a bit scared, doesn't he? Which I don't think Jesus, <laughs> I don't think Jesus looks scared. But essentially, those sort of features, you know, that, and apparently short curlier hair, that's what in the tradition of the day, not long hair. So he kind of looked like an ordinary guy. John the Baptist didn't recognize him. He didn't have anything of majesty to attract us to him. So how did he speak? Well, we know obviously Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which was in Galilee, which is kind of the furthest province north away from Jerusalem, which was the capital. So I think capital, cultured, you know, think furthest away from that, the least cultured. And actually, rabbinic literature of the time shows us that Galileans spoke in kind of like a country bumpkin type way and they were kind of fodder for ethnic jokes so um yeah so they would have he had this kind of very broad accent that was easily recognizable so do you remember Peter in the garden in um not in the garden in the courtyard after Jesus had been arrested and basically, it's so obvious that Peter's from Galilee because he's got this really, really broad accent. <laughs> and he's trying to say, no, I'm not from there. <laughs> and 
and it's like, you obviously are, <laughs> you know, because his accent gave him away. It was a really, really strong accent. And actually, um, the Aramaic words preserved the New Testament show that Jesus spoke in that northern accent with kind of dodgy grammar. So he would have been speaking in this broad accent, you know, definitely not in the Queen's English or the Aramaic, you know, precision in a well-educated way. It wouldn't have, Jesus did not speak like that. He spoke in a, yeah, dodgy grammar, northern accent. Come on. <laughs> so, and that kind of will have increased the skepticism about him. So, um, in John 1, 46, Philip, who is one of the early disciples, found Nathaniel, who was one of his friends, and told him, We've found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. We've found the Messiah. We've found the Christ about who the prophets also wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> the son of Joseph. Nazareth. What? You know, like Nathaniel's like, are you joking? Can anything good come from there? Like you can hear the kind of shock value that we miss because we're not you know, we didn't live then. We didn't know the accents. We didn't have those prejudices, basically. They were prejudiced against. Remember when everyone used to tell Irish jokes that was really bad and actually racist as well? It's like that, you know, actually. So it's kind of like, yeah, this shock value of like, are you joking? Nothing good can come from there. How can the Messiah, what? <laughs> Messiah, um, one that's been promised for centuries, that we've been waiting for, longing for, is now coming from this... Now that's throwing all my prejudices out. Do you get that shock value? And then Nicodemus tried to stick up for Jesus after the guards, so the temple, temple guards were sent to arrest Jesus when he was saying stuff. But they didn't arrest him because they basically said, but we've never heard anyone speak like this. Essentially, like, he's got the words of eternal life. I can't, you know. So this whole group of temple guards went to arrest Jesus but they didn't arrest him because of the way he spoke and what he was speaking about was just so amazing. So they came back and told the Pharisees, yeah, we didn't, we didn't arrest him because what he's saying was so amazing. <laughs> and they were like, what are you doing? Why? What? Um, and then Nicodemus, who started to become a believer, was trying to start stick up for Jesus, he said. Um, and then they replied to him and they said, are you from Galilee too? Like, <laughs> i.e., are you stupid as well? Are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So it's like nothing good comes from Galilee. A prophet won't come from it. And certainly not the Messiah is going to be coming from Galilee. Nothing. You can just see the insult that was attended back. Are you from there as well? You know. So he wouldn't have sounded cultured or well-educated. He would have had a broad northern accent with dodgy grammar. So he sounded like an ordinary guy as well. Jesus' family. So we know that controversies surround his birth. Obviously, his mum conceived before she was married, which in those days was like a stonable offence. It would have been a huge scandal in the village. Um, she was saying that God himself fathered this child but obviously everyone else was like yeah right <laughs> so then their family had to go to Bethlehem because of the census and where Jesus was born 
But then, because Herod wanted to kill Jesus, they had to flee. So then the family ended up as refugees and asylum seekers. So Jesus was an asylum seeker. He was a refugee in Egypt. And then when they came back to Nazareth about three years later, the village still would have thought that Mary was just like totally making this up to try and get out of it, and that actually Jesus was an illegitimate child. So that scandal surrounded his birth. But when, um, when they were in Bethlehem, they went to Jerusalem to present Jesus in the temple as the, as the law required when Jesus was like a few days old. And it says in Luke 2, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So actually, the law in Leviticus states that um, in that situation, a firstborn son, that actually you should offer a lamb. If, but if you were too poor to offer a lamb, then you offered two doves instead, because obviously they're cheaper. So we know from that that Mary and Joseph were struggling financially. They were on a low income. They were struggling to make ends meet. And if you can imagine your Mary, you have taken this massive hit. You've risked your life saying that your son is actually the son of God. Because you believe, you know, she knew it. She believed it, that Jesus was the son of God. So it would have kind of broken her heart, wouldn't it, to offer this sort of substandard offering for the son of God. It's like, oh, seriously, God, what are you doing? Like, I can't even afford to give the right offering because we're so poor for this boy that's the son of God can't give a lamb, we have to give two doves. So we know that Jesus came from an ordinary, working class, low income, struggling to make ends meet family. And he's living in a land that was oppressed as well. So the Romans were occupying the country, so he was living in oppression. So his, his nation, his race was under oppression. So I don't know how many of you have seen The Hunger Games. Anyone seen The Hunger Games? Not many. Really? Has nobody ever really seen it? Yeah. Okay, right, great. Thanks, John. Yeah, Hunger Games. There it is. So actually, that's kind of based on the Roman, like a futuristic version of the Roman occupation. I don't know if you've seen that. But, you know, isn't it? So they've got the capital, which is really rich. That was Rome um, with the Romans, the, that class that was really, really rich, and they were like, got loads of money and loads of, and they're eating all these delicacies while everybody else is kind of starving in the countryside and, and working and being enslaved to kind of feed the needs of this richer, the capital, basically. And, that's, and, that, and then all these, and to increase fear, the children, the slaves, were basically taken into the Hunger Games, i.e. into the arena and for entertainment. It's kind of exactly that's exactly how it was 2,000 years ago, basically the Hunger Games. So they would, that's how they would increase fear. It's like, right, we're going to take the slaves. We're going to take you as gladiators, make you fight each other just for our fun. So that's kind of what Jesus was living under. So his, his, he was living under oppression. He had no natural power in himself. He didn't have prestige. He didn't have power. He was living in an occupied country. Um, what about his job? What did he do for a job? Well, we know Jesus was a carpenter, and we know that Joseph was as well. But I didn't know this, and still I started reading about it. But actually, there's three miles north of Nazareth where Jesus lived was this kind of 
Sepphoris, which was a city, which was kind of a newish um, Roman city that they were building. It was kind of under construction at the time. So it was like, imagine, you know, white marbled, everything, columns and everything like this. So it's quite likely that Joseph worked in Sepphoris, building, constructing, probably Jesus' brothers, probably Jesus. I mean, he had 30 years before he started his ministry. Quite a high likelihood that he was working in a Roman city as a part of a construction gang of blokes. I mean, that's obviously that's complete supposition, but he was a carpenter. There was a Roman city three, three miles north of Nazareth where there would have been a lot of jobs going. So, yeah. So we do know that Jesus was a tradesman and that he was doing an ordinary job. His name, Jesus, means Yahweh is salvation or God saves. And in Aramaic, it's actually a contracted form, so a smaller version of... Um, oh, I'm going to say this. <laughs> well, the Yeshua is Jesus' name, but Yeshua or is like a contracted version of Joshua in English. Yeah? So Joshua was a longer version of Jesus. Yeah? So um, in Aramaic. So... He kind of, and obviously now, like Joshua here is a really popular name, isn't it? And Jesus is a really popular name in Latin America. So I had a neighbor when I lived there called Jesus, and his son was called John the Baptist. That's what he just did. (laughs) Jesus, Iwama la Baptista. (laughs) So, you know, we don't think of calling our kids Jesus because we kind of feel like that might be a bit too much pressure. (laughs) Latin Americans don't bother. They think it's fine. Great. (laughs) But for us, we've got Joshua, so it's kind of an ordinary... Name, yeah? So he had an ordinary name as well. So you're kind of getting the idea that actually, say Jesus was born today in the UK, he probably would have come from maybe Glasgow or Liverpool or Birmingham or Newcastle or even Yorkshire, come on. Bradford, yeah. He would have had a really strong accent uh, with a bit of dodgy grammar thrown in. You know, all the little colloquialisms that we say in Yorkshire. Go down to Ginnell and all of that. That would have been there. You know, that sort of thing would have been in the text. Um, he, might have had, he might have been working with his dad and his brothers, wearing a yellow jacket and a hard hat, working on a construction site. His family would have been working class, struggling to make ends meet, and he wasn't anything special to look at. Fully man, fully ordinary, and yet the son of God, and totally extraordinary. Like, you can't get two complete, more opposite than that, can you? That's why you can't put Jesus in a box. That's why he's shocking. That's why he's amazing. Come on. (laughs) Because the miracles he performed were unlike any other that had been witnessed. His incomparable wisdom left intellectuals of the day speechless. Even his ability to teach complex spiritual truths through parables, through storytelling, had Jews and Romans alike shaking their heads in amazement. But no wonder, I hope you've probably read this before in Mark 6, but no wonder that the people he grew up with in Nazareth had this reaction to him when he started his ministry. So he kind of kept it all under wraps for 30 years. Then he started his public ministry. So that, Mark 6... Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. So he's never taught in the synagogue before. They've never heard him in Nazareth sort of 
explain the scriptures. Many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Because this is just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary and his brother and James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. What? They were getting the shock. How can this be? They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him because they just couldn't compute that person with this person and the wisdom and the miracles because it just didn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense in the natural because he was God. So it forced them, didn't it, to have a reaction. You couldn't just brush it off as like we often do in this culture of like, oh, he was a good man, you know, a great teacher. It's like, no. He was either this ordinary bloke who was just, you know, making stuff up, or he was the son of God. That's the, that's, they were forced into it. It's a lot more, it was a lot more in their face there because they had to believe, hold on a minute, he's the son of God. Like, this doesn't make sense. How can he be doing all these miracles and teaching and getting this amazing moral code that hasn't been surpassed for 2,000 years? Like, he is either the son of God or he's an ordinary bloke. They couldn't compute it. And I think, well, obviously this is just, but it seems like God just didn't want to give Jesus any natural head start at all. He didn't want there to be any confusion where his wisdom came from. He didn't want him to be well-educated. He didn't want him to be the top of the game. He didn't want him to have any prestige. He didn't want him to have any power in the natural. He was the lowest kind of, you know, he was illegitimate, he was living, he was in a race that was oppressed. He didn't want there to be any of his power that he had from God, because he was God, seem like it could come from natural sources. His magnetic draw was purely God in him. There was nothing of the natural that meant that people followed him. He wasn't a celebrity like we have do you know, where it's their beauty or, you know, their amazing dancer or whatever. There was nothing of that. It was all purely what God had given him, his power to perform miracles and his amazing teaching. He was an ordinary guy, and yet he was fully man. He was fully, fully God. He rose from the dead, which was the confirmatory factor that this man was the son of God. So James, his brother that he grew up with, didn't believe, like none of his family really believed apart from Mary, until the resurrection. And James saw the resurrected Christ, saw his brother rose from the dead. At that point, he's like, okay. <laughs> he is the son of God. His moral teachings have never been surpassed in 2,000 years. His biography is the best-selling book of all time every single year because he was fully God. It's shocking. And I hope that kind of juxtaposition, those two opposites, when you read the New Testament, that you're now you're hopefully with that context in mind that you'll get the shock value, you'll get the people's reactions, you'll understand the Pharisees a bit more and, and the people of the town think, yeah, I think I would probably think like that as well because the shock that Jesus was fully man and yet fully God. So I hope that's